I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In each episode where we reflect our love and joy and recommendations in film, we kick it off with the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or a main review, and then finish up with film phase, our respective lists around 12 favorite movies in a, to a particular topic. In this episode, we'll have a somewhat short week in review, and then our main event will be a review of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And then film faves will be our favorite underrated movies. Will Sonic the Hedgehog 2 be one of those underrated movies? I don't know. But we'll talk soon about that first the week in review. Shanna, as I understand it, neither you nor I respectively saw much on our own. Yeah, I have been very busy at home with different things and just haven't had a chance to complete anything. So it looks like it's just a us review. Yeah, so I and I have been working a lot of hours and have not had any opportunity when you're away to watch much on my own. So we got to see a couple things together. First, we caught up with last year's Last Night in Soho. This is Edgar Wright's latest film. It stars Thomason McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Matt Smith. Is it about an aspiring fashion designer who is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe scener? But things are not as they appear to be. Jenna, we skipped this one in the movie theaters. Wasn't really sure, I wasn't really sure what kind of movie we'd be in for and if I would love to be a captive audience to something that might scare the shit out of me or <laughs> show me things I don't need to see. What did you think of Edgar Wright's uh, latest film? Some people were claiming it's his best movie. Some were claiming it was one of the best movies of the year. Where do you fall on that? I have a hard time with films like this because of anything that's sort of paranormal. Mm. I can't really handle very well. Mm -hmm. But if you give me like a, a, a movie based on a real serial killer, I'm dandy. I can watch it over and over again. Mm. So, so this movie was both. Well, I guess so. So I guess it, it balanced out. That combination made it a rather, it was like a croissant and chocolate mixed together. Like, why not? <laughs> okay. All right. So, it's not as epic as chocolate and peanut butter, but, you know, I'm working with what I what I love. Okay. It was a chocolate croissant, this movie. <laughs> was it... Do you, do you agree with the notions that some have about the film being among Edgar Wright's best or the best of the year? I... I'm not sure if it's his best. Uh, if you want to pull up his movies, you can do that. As far as best of the year, it definitely fits the unique story and the cinematography 
was rather lovely. The costuming was okay. For Edgar Wright, I prefer his Baby Driver and Hot Fuzz more than this one, but it certainly isn't his worst. I think it's probably in his top three. Oh, really? Yeah, but for favorites, it's definitely my third. Interesting. So I think that Edgar Wright's definitely stepping things up as a director in this film. His, the execution, the things that he's doing, the techniques he's using, definitely stuff you haven't seen before in any of uh, his other films. And they're pretty effective and pretty great. However, there were a couple issues I had with the movie. I can't really share, as I recall them, because they are third act related stuff. There's a slight degree of predictability to it, um, but it's not fully predictable because I can't say I fully predicted the route it went in the end. I was pleased with the third act, and I was also pleased with how there was this constant female understanding for one another, mm. and compassion is probably the better word. Mm. There was the, a lot of female compassion in here, and I, I really appreciated that consistency. Well, you know, the victimizing of women is definitely an aspect of the movie, uh, the victimizing by men. And and it's interesting because this film was co-written by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson Cairns. Uh, Christy Cairns has written the scripts for such films as uh, 1917, and uh, she's done several episodes of Penny Dreadful, which I have never Mm. seen myself. Uh, she also has a couple films coming along the way, including Taika Waititi's Star Wars film. I think she's probably, I would guess, that the, some of what you're speaking to was injected by Christy into the film. I don't want to get distracted, but I didn't know there was a Taika Waititi Star Wars film coming. I know, right? Uh, why are you just like blowing through that? That's amazing. Well, <laughs> I know we're trying to stay on topic. Uh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> But uh, And who knows if that will even actually take off uh, the way things are going with that. I guess you're right. We have to wait and see, so best not to get the hopes up. Uh, But I would say that Last Night in Soho is not one of Edgar Wright's best completely in terms of stories. Hmm. It is one of his best executed as a director, but it does not quite measure up to Shaun of the Dead, Scott Pilgrim and the versus the World, and and Baby Driver in terms of concept and execution. I give Last Night in Soho a seven out of ten. I guess with uh, Paranormal, you have to in your movie set up the rules mm. of how the paranormal works, mm. and then stick to it. Yeah. And I guess the it would have been better, uh, more sharp, if the rules were set up. And were followed hmm. whereas and then that scene would have maybe made more sense or worked better so how would you rate the movie yeah i think a seven is fair yeah absolutely all right so that's last night in soho which you can find available to rent uh, to stream we also watched another movie now this movie that we are about to speak to almost became our main review in the previous episode and watching it 
<laughs> we were kind of kicking ourselves that we weren't able to have it as a main event review uh, at all. It is everything everywhere song all at once. <laughs> um, everything everywhere this is all the at new- once. Never, rarity, sometimes, always. Yeah, except I always got that one. You stumbled always that uh, always yeah, over that I'm, title. I'm doing just fine with this one, <laughs> and you're not. That's hilarious. That's great. It's hilarious. <laughs> so it's, we were going to review it instead of Morbius, but Morbius was available for us. This was not until <sighs> until recently. So this film, for those who aren't familiar. This is by the Daniels, the Daniels' previous film. It was their follow-up to Swiss Army Man, their debut, which I have praised here on the podcast off and on occasionally. This film is about an aging Chinese immigrant who's swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save the world by exploring other universes connecting with the lives she could have led. It stars Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Su. Ki Hoi Kwan and Jamie Lee Curtis with an appearance by Jenny Slate. Shanna, I had said that this was a film that we wished we could have done a main event review on, mostly because I feel like there's a lot of meat to dig into that you could really dive in to this film. What were your thoughts? Do you agree with that? And what were your thoughts with Everywhere? Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> we should just call it E-E-A-O or something. There you go. Ew. <laughs> Yo. I really was quite mad that this wasn't our main review last episode because when we started talking about this film after we saw it, we started realizing how much there was that you could say about it and how well executed and perfectly put together this film was Mm. we all know from the trailer it's a multiverse being dealt with and we know this word very well because if you are a film lover you've been exposed to films that deal with that particularly marvel specifically marvel Mm -hmm. and how long did it take marvel to get their uh, multiverse set up it took them how many movies and shows and now we're finally going to see something next time yeah yeah that's gonna have it all come into one movie i suppose we don't really know much but i'm assuming this film totally unique doesn't need to be a superhero film right when fucking awol and had so many multiverses so many levels so much grounding to it Mm. at the same time Mm. so even though there were ridiculously stupid funny things happening or odd concepts that were the rules of the game Mm. being shared with us it didn't need to be what we're so used to Mm. it's a truly unique piece of work and we talked and talked and talked and i said oh my god jeff i think I think it's a masterpiece. And I know that you are very particular about that word. Oh, yeah, that, that word. That word gets <laughs> overused yes. so much, especially on Instagram or Filmstagram. I bristle at the use of that word typically. Yeah. But I agree. I think I, after a moment of consideration, 
agreed with you with regards to this film? So I looked up <laughs> like other words for masterpiece uh-huh. so we could kind of steer away from it. Uh-huh. And they have things like triumph. <laughs> it's a triumphant film. Oh, you're going for you, you sound like you're going for a poster poll it's, quote. It's a wonder. It's a sensation. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, those are fun. But honestly, we never say this about films. Like, we didn't even say this about Endgame, and that was quite something of a feat that was accomplished. But yeah. this right here is a masterpiece, and I know I've taken a lot of time to get to that point uh-huh. in, in this, but that's what it is, and maybe we can, you know, re- do a review of it with spoilers on a blank space on your schedule there. You're looking for extra work? You actually want to record an extra episode? I never said there's blank spaces (laughs) right there, and I want to put it in somewhere, even if it's like a month or two. Months after it's come out. Yeah, I don't care. Well done, A24. Well done, Daniels. Yeah, the Daniels. So I'm a fan of the Daniels. I think they create, at the very least, interesting work. Fascinating, unique shit. This is not four-quadrant filmmaking. This is... Excellent filmmaking. This is the kind of thing that's not going to appeal to everybody. This is the kind of movie that will make some people go, what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, the, The Daniels are daring filmmakers, and they really push the envelope here with this film. It is exceptional. And I think to the the point of us not making a main event review... You know, sometimes we can't always re- review movies we love. Sometimes we gotta review stinkers. So you know, there is that fairness and balance to life. Is it fair? <laughs> <laughs> is it uh, just like life where it's not fair? <laughs> there are things in this movie that is just like, oh god, okay, movie, all right, and you're just kind of like, this is bonkers absolutely ridiculous if you've seen the daniels music video for turn down for what it's like they love that so much Mm. they tried to get that level of crazy into this film yeah but again they wrote their rules and they stuck to their rules yes yes but excellent performances still can be found in this film amidst the chaos by Michelle Yeoh, who is a fucking legend. God, she's amazing. By Kelly Sue, who I'm not as well... Uh, or Stephanie Sue, I, I apologize. Who I'm not as familiar with, clearly, because I just messed up her name. She is from a couple episodes of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is a show that we're big fans of. And to have Ki Hoi Kwan come back, mm-hmm. short round... Data himself, having been away from acting for 20 years, he is remarkable. He is the Reese of this movie at one point, and he is <laughs> yes. awesome. How cool is that? Yeah. And also, let's take a step back and recognize a movie that is predominantly Asian-American of this kind. It's not like a four-quadrant Uh, crazy rich Asians kind of appeal to as many people as possible kind of thing. Yet it is a a must see film. I think this film is so far the best movie of the year. Yeah. Once we get to, Oh, we have an empty spot for it. Best of the movies of the year so far in June. 
I guarantee Maybe. this movie will be on in that discussion. Maybe we talk spoilers there it's also nice that there's a sprinkling of jamie lee curtis yeah as the, and and she is hilarious in this and we've got jenny slate being jenny slate and that was not fun. enough jenny slate in my life i have to admit yeah, and it so nice it was so great seeing her yes in a bit part that you had to walk out of the room uh for it involved a dog as comically ridiculous as it was on the level of fairly brothers movie it was not your cup of tea, but uh, she's fantastic to see. Anyway, I do not want to make this a main event review. We must That's move on. That's where it's on. going. That's we where it's must going. move on. <laughs> but you must move to the theater to see everything, everywhere, all at once. We highly recommend it. Don't wait. Now that'll end our weekend review, which we which finishes up the weekend review segment and moves us right along to the main event, which is our review of Sonic the Hedgehog. Two. These rings signify the commitment. So help me, Thomas! Sorry, sorry. Life or death situation! I need you to use the ring to save me, like right now! Snow, my god. Oh boy. Ah, Hawaii. I just hope we're not too late. Oh lord, there are two of them now. What's happening? Uh, okay, quick version. Robotnik is back. I've discovered the source of ultimate power. We need to get it back or the world is doomed. You brought some kind of... Space porcupine. I am an echidna warrior. And that was from the trailer to Sonic the Hedgehog 2. We reviewed the first Sonic the Hedgehog, which I believe, which uh, somewhere around 2018, 2019. That was a directorial debut by Jeff Fowler, who also directed this film and apparently has a Pink Panther movie coming out, but not about Inspector Clouseau, thankfully, rather about the cartoon character later this year. This film was directed by Jeff Fowler, as mentioned, but written by Pat Casey, Josh Miller, John Whittington. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 continues the story from the first movie when Dr. Robotnik returns to Earth with a new ally, Knuckles the Echidna. Sonic and his new friend Tails is all that stands in their way. Indeed. Now, when we review a movie... We like to focus first on the good, what worked about a movie, what were its strengths, then focus on the bad, what sucked about a movie, what were its flaws, weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad, and then talk spoilers and final thoughts. I could be wrong, because we've been able to make a 30-plus minute review of Morbius, but it's possible that we may not have a lot to say about Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Shanna... Remind us of your thoughts of the first Sonic the Hedgehog and what degree of anticipation that built for you for the sequel and thus what was good about Sonic 2. Do you have like more questions? Because that was like three or four questions. Three, baby. (laughs) Okay, so the first film, I was impressed because here you have this video game character I started playing with, I think when I was six or seven Mm. somewhere around there or maybe it's more like seven or eight there we go all right and 
And I've always loved the Sonic games. And in the first film, they executed it pretty well. They cast Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik, which was a great choice because I don't think anyone else could have gotten away with being that character Mm. and that flamboyant. And it makes sense. Uh, It all made sense. And then Sonic coming and getting grounded in, you know, real life, wanting to have a family or be part of a family was great. Mm. And so James Marston and Tika Sumter were great parental figures and Mm. very trusting. And I'm like, well, that must be nice. Mm. (laughs) So I was looking forward to Sonic 2. Seeing the trailer to Sonic 2 was exciting because you get to see Knuckles. Mm. And of course, Dr. Robotnik isn't gone because let's get real. This is a video game franchise movie. Mm -hmm. Like the, the villains don't go away. And so I loved the addition of Idris Elba and then seen Shamar Moore in Sonic 2. Edris Elba voices... Voices Knuckles. Yes. And you're a fan of Shamar Moore. Yes. And so seeing him was a great surprise. Mm. So in this film, we kind of have... uh, It's all leading to the same place, Mm. but they kind of split the story a little bit. Yeah. As we're we're getting to the final place and... Because James Marsden's Tom and Tika Sumter's Maddie are going to a destination wedding of, I think, Natasha Rothwell's Rachel, who's being married to Shamar Morris' character, Randall. Mm -hmm. And so that leaves Sonic home alone. And, of course, he's he's the A-plot and adventure and and trouble finds him while he's home alone. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have this wedding taking place, and uh, Tom checks in with Sonic occasionally via phone, all that sort of stuff. The comedy in this film was great. You know, not only do you have Knuckles as this awkward guy who clearly was isolated or like as close to isolated on his planet as possible. He doesn't have any social skills. So Mm. he comes over and when he is being social, trying to be social, it's very difficult for him. And I, I rather like that. And then we have Tails. And Tails is just a whole bunch of fun and very intelligent and mm. has gadgets. Mm. What? And is faster than they are in the video game. For sure. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Then we have Sonic. And this time we're seeing Sonic a little more fleshed out as a sort of preteen or teenager kind of relationship with his fa- his parental mm-hmm. figures and that's been really sweet because something funny will happen like if I die don't look under my bed and at first I was like Ey. but I'm a woman and I did, didn't have a bed that you could hide stuff under and if you did it, was, it wasn't a good idea but all these kids in the back of the theater were roaring with laughter and I was like oh that's really great they're obviously landing on a lot of things and uh, in fact the theater turnout was pretty good And everybody was really entertained. There were some very loud kids uh, way behind us. And they seemed to be really enjoying the film. And of course, you know, then we get Dr. Robotnik again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's quite the character. And I'm perfectly happy seeing him. But I do know that Jim Carrey announced that this was his last film. But I don't know. Yeah, this might be the last performance you ever see by Jim Carrey in a film. Um, he has said that unless something written in gold that <laughs> just is soaked in importance that the world must see, 
comes across his desk. Um, he's, Are those the words he used? I, yes, I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's great. the general message he gave, yeah. Um, he will not be uh, doing anything else. Never mind destined for great purpose. I want soaked in great purpose. That is <laughs> awesome. I love it. All right, so th- anything else you want to say that was good about uh, Sonic 2? Uh, there were a couple Easter eggs that relate to the video game, like uh, what happens to Sonic when he's in water. And it mm-hmm. was exactly, they. I don't mm-hmm. know how they did this, but it was exactly like how it is in the video game. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so if I may, I would say that the Sonic movies, look, like we talked about this in the first review of Sonic the Hedgehog. Video game movies have a horrible history i mean a few months ago a couple months ago i watched monster hunter which came out in like december either last year or the year before and that was not good (laughs) you know assassin's creed's not good most video game movies are not good i would say that sonic the hedgehog and then after that mortal kombat are the first video game movies you know and, and tomb raider even before this to actually kind of be good and decent. And Sonic the Hedgehog is one of the best video game movies ever. So it's not a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I I was just reminded of Uncharted earlier this year too, uh, which is fairly forgettable. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is not a great movie, but it is good. And it is good family fun. And so you expect that the sequel is going to have more of the same or be more of the same. And especially when it teases the introduction of Tails. And you're like, okay, excellent. And then you have the trailer that teases the introduction of Knuckles. Fantastic. You're getting more characters into the film. And so this movie definitely works on that level of just being good family fun and good fun for fans of the video game franchise. I don't know if I've ever actually beaten a Sonic the Hedgehog game. I know I've played a a small handful of them. So, you know, I think that there are definitely people out there who are more well-versed than I that could pick up on all the little nuggets that this movie is referencing. And I feel like there are a lot of things that this movie does reference from the video games. But yes, Tales... Man, I did play Tails in Sonic 2, and he was always slower. <laughs> if you co-opted with a friend, yeah, he the, the friend playing Sonic was frustratingly ahead of you. Yeah, if you were, if you were both on the same screen, not the separate screen. Yeah. Uh, situation. Yeah. In this movie, though, Tails moves like a motherfucker. He like is fast. <laughs> He flies was, so fast. I was so frustrated. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Did I need to hit B yeah. a little harder or what? Because my brother but, and I used to fight over who got to be Sonic mm-hmm. versus I don't want to be Tails. Yeah. I always liked Tails, but he yeah. was slow comparatively. Uh, not so in this movie. Also, it's worth noting, really great. They got, for the voice of Tails, the original voice of Tails, what? Colleen O'Shaughnessy. And cool. I am so glad they did that because that worked. That was like the right choice. Mm. Uh, she was fantastic in this as Tails. Idris Elba, great as Knuckles. Oh my God, Sometimes so 
You know, he he's almost like the Drax of the movie in the sense that like is very the literal, serious Drax. very sincere, very literal though. Does not yeah. get figures of speech or metaphor. It goes over his head. You know, if it, it, it tries to go over his head, he'll catch it. So, but he is funny and and great in this. I do enjoy him. Jim Carrey, you know, he has been in these movies. He has been funnier in the past, but he he strikes the right tone for this for this film. He's right. being he's adapting to this particular franchise. Uh, yes, he's the right kind of silly. I don't know how many times I laughed out loud at his jokes or his behavior, but he's definitely amusing. And he's a better version in a lot of ways of Dr. Robotnik than the actual Dr. Robotnik mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in uh, the video games. Granted, that is one of the most iconic video game villains. Not necessarily the most interesting video game villain. But there's a lot of awesome references. Those references I even got that, Shanna, you didn't get in the film. And uh, yeah, it's fun. Does it carry on a little bit too long? I don't know. Let's talk about what doesn't work about this movie. What were its flaws? Anything that struck you that could have been better or was a little weak in this film? We had spoken about it after the film. and We -hmm. had spoken about this after we watched the film. And I actually had mentioned the wedding. But then I backtracked because it was so entertaining for me and so exciting Mm. that I wasn't bothered by it, you know? Do you really like Natasha Rothwell's performance? Oh, God, it was so stunning. Oh, Mm -hmm. it was so great. And I'm not going to say anything about what happened because it's a spoiler thing, but Mm. it was just so glorious. It was a great sidetrack, you know? Mm-hmm. I I do think that that was all fine, but whenever we shifted to that B plot, I wasn't nearly as invested or interested as I was with the A plot. Like I sure. generally could have done without that storyline. Mm-hmm. And that storyline ends halfway through the movie anyway, you know. Yeah, so- the only problem with it is we don't get like a full revolution like resolution for Mm. it so that could have been better just a little something Mm. you know some way even if it was background i will say that i love the parentals in this film you mean james marston and tinka sumter yeah they are essentially foster parents Mm -hmm. of an alien and Uh i love it i think that they come across to sonic very compassionate and of course, James Marston's character is trying to be firm, mm. but also trying not to push Sonic away mm. because he wants to ultimately be there for Sonic. He mm. wants Sonic to be able to come to him. So it's got this interesting little push and pull. Feels like James and Tika had like maybe two weeks of shooting to do in this movie, considering <laughs> like how much screen time they have compared to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like mostly Sonic in, in this film. Which you know? is great. It's like he's going through this sort of rite of passage, going on his own adventure, not needing his parentals. Well, on a filmmaking perspective, when you really take a step back and and, and think about it, how impressive is it that... 60 to 75 percent of the film is in in a live action environment Mm -hmm. is following a cgi character 
Yeah. And and you don't ever check out of it. You know, you're you're in you're with it, you're con- you're in it, you're you're convinced the whole time. And I think that you know, we've come a long way since Smeagol. Right? Yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, and I think it'll hold up. I think there was maybe one shot, and I can't even remember it, but I remember there being one shot where I was like, ew, that's not going to hold up well, mm. even next year. But they've done a really great piece of work for what they've got, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing sequels mm. past this. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to write it as long as they can, and that might look like three films. That might look like four films. I don't know. Mm. It's hard to say, but if you are... If you're doing it well, if you're grounding it, then I, I don't see a problem with that. Well, if you're a fan of the Sonic franchise at all, I don't think you'll have much of a problem with this film. Uh, do we think the good outweighs the bad? And what do we rate Sonic 2 overall? Yeah, the good definitely outweighs the bad. There's barely any bad. And I would probably rate it a solid 7. Hmm. Uh, yes, the good outweighs the bad, but this isn't great material. This is this is fun material. This is this is something that I could confidently recommend that you can watch with your kids or your preteens or teenagers, what have you, and uh, you'll have a lot of fun. I give the film a six out of ten. Just a, a, a just a perfectly fine piece of entertainment okay so with that being the case with that being said let's get into a few minutes of spoiler talk i'm sure there's a few things that we could highlight both good and bad about the film and spoilers if you haven't seen the film we do give a recommendation to to see the the film at some point if you uh, you know go ahead and uh, skip ahead to the film faves segment join us there if you have seen the film uh, follow along with us to our spoiler discussion of sonic the hedgehog 2 starting now okay so i'm going to start with references there's not a lot that i was able to pick up on or remember at this point but the biggest one was the coffee shop the coffee shop is called mean bean coffee now, you were able to pick up on this, but there was a spin-off game of Sonic the Hedgehog. I think it either came out after the first one or after the second one, called Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. That was essentially the franchise's version of Tetris. Were you familiar with this game at all? I had no idea that there was a Sonic Tetris, and now I want it. Well, <laughs> that's good because we have it. Oh, great. I do believe. So that reference with the the henchman played again by Lee Maj- Majdub. Apologies for the mispronunciation, if that is. Majdub. It is a reference to Mean Bean Machine. Oh, wait. I'm looking at pictures of it, and I'm like, I remember these little guys. It's like little dots that have eyeballs. Mm-hmm. It could totally fit into everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, yeah so that was the big thing that i i noticed as a reference 
Was there anything that you noticed? You mentioned, of course, the, the drowning. Swimming, yeah. yeah. Was there anything I, else I, that I you didn't noticed? say drowning because that's too stressful. <laughs> <laughs> so when they, you know, they're going after this emerald jewel, they're trying to get to it before everyone else gets to it. And, right. Uh, it's got ultimate power and they don't want Dr. Robotnik to get it, obviously. Right. And they're trying to get there. It has to, it's a pretty complicated, we have to go to Hawaii. We have to cross the ocean to get to it. It's a sort of mayan temple type setup uh-huh. and very green uh-huh. and that was pretty cool because it reminded me of some of the levels in sonic uh-huh. and certain little booby traps that were happening yes were just like the game right and that i enjoyed that a lot and mm. they had done a good job of setting up that sonic cannot swim when he's in the boat with Tom yeah. in the beginning of the film right. and so later he had something happened he's trying to help Knuckles he's trying to show good faith in Knuckles and Knuckles gets away from a pillar that had fallen on him he gets out of the water but Sonic can't get out and <laughs> this is really terrible it's as if Sonic is filled with rocks and he can't even yeah. push off to yeah. get to the top and it's so infuriating it's just like the it's just like the game yeah. and that was really well executed it it, it f- because not only did I see and acknowledge hey this is exactly how it is in the game good job yeah. following the rules but also I felt infuriated like I used to when I was a kid <laughs> playing mm. the game yeah so that was very enjoyable I I love that part I do wish they had some sort of explanation as to why that is because He's a small and surprising, uh, and and one would presume, a spry and and light kind of. You would of think he's light dude. the way he zooms. Yeah, 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 exactly. So why why does he have a hard time with floating anyway, or you know rising up? Um, but yes, I I, I I you mentioned in the screening that it was just like the game. So I was like, oh yeah yeah yeah, that's right. Watching this movie, I'm thinking, okay, so they've added these characters during it. Surely they're going to just keep adding characters. And at some point, surely, be it a last reveal kind of thing or what, they're probably going to add Shadow. Even though he was the headliner of what is considered the worst game in the franchise, Shadow the Hedgehog. I bet they're going to introduce him, and they do. It, it's a little bit wonky how they do it. Like he's some secret project that's, that's like top, top secret government project from like decades ago or whatever. Did I miss something? I thought there was some sort of establishment that uh, aliens had come to Earth prior, and then it cut to shadow mm, i'm not sure maybe my memory is off okay but i well, remember that would explain them why the government is so like we need to stop sonic he's an alien perhaps but they 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 did refer to it as project shadow okay and then they showed shadow in this weird like contraption type thing it wasn't a cell it was like the matrix goo it was <laughs> weird so i guess that's something we can look forward to look did you ever see the old sonic the hedgehog cartoons or read the comics 
I only got to see one or two episodes ages ago. So okay, so it's been enough. ages for me. By the way, they are available now on Blu-ray. You can hunt those down. They got printed a couple months back on Blu-ray. I remember there being a bigger cast of characters. It, it did predate the existence of Shadow, of course, because it took place in the 90s. Or not took place, but was you know released in the 90s. Shadow was more of a 2004 five character you keep talking about a pink character yeah and and so and i think that character was in the cartoon the if cartoon, i recall yeah um it'd be interesting if they tried figuring out how to introduce more of those characters for the the old time fans i love how this film ended with all three of the characters on the back of the truck going to get ice creams <laughs> ice oh, cream yeah. and oh, yeah. knuckles is like i've been told about the sprinkles right and he's like such a warrior like we're going to get the sprinkles yeah yeah and after playing the ball <laughs> the base of ball yes or something like that yeah and i i love that i love that and i just loved how they were becoming a family and it's like hey mm. now Sonic has his tribe, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he's not alone uh, in terms of who so he is. I feel like there's a way that you could start. You don't even necessarily need an explanation. Like, yeah, yeah. okay, you know, other aliens have found Earth or are on Earth, and they know of Sonic. They're going to find Sonic. They're going to become part of the family. I feel like we don't even need much explanation. Mm. Like, we could add a character or two without a whole movie dedicated to it. Hmm. But what would they do as a villain moving forward if they didn't have Robotnik? I'm assuming that Shadow is going to be a villain and get converted. Like, mm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? I almost said Echidna because he is an Echidna. Knuckles. Knuckles sort of served that role, but it was one of those misunderstanding, going with the wrong guy kind of plots that we've seen before. What I liked about Knuckles is he, you know, throughout the movie, he is true to himself. Mm -hmm. And once he gets screwed over, like you can tell this is someone you don't want to screw with. You want to be very honest and upfront with this character. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be like Dr. Robotnik screwing him around, it's not going to go well for you. Mm -hmm. And allegiances will be changed, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. So I I like it. It's almost like a kid that was led astray by an adult. Mm that didn't have good intentions, but mm-hmm. without, you know, severely traumatizing the person. So I, I liked it. The little theme. They have little themes. They have little things being touched on that mm. that aren't made a big deal of. So mm. I enjoyed that. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about the film? Uh, that's so funny because I was literally going to ask you <laughs> the same thing. Uh, not really. I think there the movie does open with a scene that supposedly takes place in downtown Seattle. Seattle There's like, like Pioneer a Pioneer Square type area. Runaway robbery sort of thing. I'm like, there's like one thing that happens halfway through it. I'm like, if that were to happen, that would be big news alone. In in uh, Seattle news, well, Let someone alone, driving like, around with pipe bombs and throwing them out. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes, you know? yes, yeah, exactly. And like, breaking the sewers, this the water system. Well, yeah, eventually, yeah. Downtown Seattle would be so fucked. Yeah, like, that'd be. It's just it's so interesting seeing these kinds of things in your area, where it's like that's not at all what happens. <laughs> you know, that's not life. Yeah, I, I found that greatly amusing. But I think that's about all we have to say about yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog 2. 
Uh, do you agree or disagree with us? Feel free to share your thoughts at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Moving right along, it is time for the final segment of the podcast, Film Faves. Film Faves is a segment inspired by a feature that used to be on the blog, the Gibson Review, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Now, is Sonic 2 an underrated movie? I don't think so. It's doing pretty damn well. I think it's going to be one of the big box office earners of the year. And, you know, I think it's been fairly adequately reviewed. And the, the, the word of mouth is pretty pretty on par with the quality of the movie. So I don't know if you'll hear about this movie on either of our lists. But, Shanna, let's talk about underrated. What We've done forgotten movies before. These are movies that nobody talks about or seems to remember existed really that are favorites of ours underrated are movies that should have either performed better or movies that have a lukewarm reception when people do talk about it or a negative reception when people talk about it that really we're here to say it's not that bad you know or it's worth a look or you know This movie should be considered a great film or one of the best movies or what have you. And it just for some reason is not. This was a topic that you came up with, Shanna, for a future film fave segment. The day has arrived. (laughs) So share with us. I came up with this? I I do believe so. (laughs) So share with us what this process was like for you. Well, this was one of those lists where I had at least 28 films, which never rarely, never really happens. Never rarely, sometimes always happens. Sometimes always happens. (laughs) So. Uh, That's a movie that could be argued as a contender to an extent in the sense that. That should have been considered one of the best movies of that year. It should have gotten nominated for something, anything. Right. Something like First Cow, speaking of that year, First Cow should have fell into that category. Now I'm rethinking my life. (laughs) I'm looking at my list and I'm like, this is, I don't know about this. (laughs) I, it was difficult to bring it down to 12. So maybe we'll mention some movies that didn't make the list. And there's one that you had mentioned to me just before we started recording. And I was like, shit. (laughs) <laughs> I want that on my list. And now I don't know if there's going to be space for it. There were some films where I was thinking, well, I've mentioned this on a list before several times, maybe like Ghostbusters 2016. So it's not going to make the list this time. Um, Whoa. Okay. I didn't expect that. I totally thought that movie was going to be on your list. So that was the deci- uh, That was one of the criteria I made for myself. Mm-hmm. If it has been mentioned on a list like more than twice, more than two lists before. Oh. It it basically got eliminated. Woo. Okay, so I'm expecting a lot of surprises from you then. Oh, I, I don't know. And then there's also like, okay, well, this is a good film, but it's one of my favorite underrated films, so it's on there. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, this was a very difficult uh, list because when we came up with the idea... I think it was like two years ago. 
Uh, there were a handful of movies that immediately sprung to mind that insp- that partially inspired by the list. And so for me, I just I also kept going. I just kept coming up with mm. titles. And so pretty soon I'm like almost at 40 movies. And I have struggled before with crafting a list, but I don't know if I've struggled as much as I did with this one because I tried various different strategies, like looking up the movies to see, okay, well, how many of them are available to stream? If these are underrated, can I go purely with the idea of, of recommending people find them easily on streaming and just make a streaming available list? And that ended up not quite working because while a, there were a lot, and a lot of them are on HBO Max, by the way, not a lot of them ended up making my final list. And there's also like, okay, what are my absolute favorites? And then there's, what are the ones that like were, the this list idea was made for, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so trying to squeeze in as many of those in as possible while also making sure I didn't include any movies from our forgotten films list from like four episodes ago uh, too. So it was, it was really challenging balancing act. I don't know if I can honestly say that all the movies on this list are my absolute favorite, but these are movies that I do find, a lot of them I find myself having to defend against the consensus, Mm. okay? And that's a big thing. So one of the things we're going to try to do is explain why the movie, briefly, why the movie is underrated. And should be given a second chance. So why don't you get us started? By the way, as I alluded, we will be noting when a movie is available on a streaming service to make it easier for you to check out these recommendations. Now, we don't list every single streaming service because there's too many out there. But we do note if a film is on Apple TV+, Plus, the subscription services, by the way, not the paid rentals, Apple TV+, Plus, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, and Disney+. Plus. And here we go with Shanna's 12th favorite underrated movie. My number 12 is from 2006, Perfume, the Story of a Murderer. Jean-Baptiste Renaud, born with a superior olfactory sense, creates the world's finest perfume. His work, however, takes a dark turn as he searches for the ultimate scent. This is a very interesting film. It's a film that I don't hear people talk about a lot, and I got exposed to it when I was an au pair and this French au pair said oh you love movies have you checked out this movie it's it's so popular in France well it's I don't think it gets talked to it doesn't get enough international attention I think and because I don't hear other people talking about it and I just I think the performances are great I think the story is good but also like oh my god no so I that's why it's here excellent my 12th favorite is a movie that I do find myself having to defend a lot. It is 
from 2019. I feel like 2019 is the year of underrated movies. Mm. There are a lot of movies that I could have drawn from and a few I did draw from for my list. And this is definitely one of them. Oh, that's a great pick. Charlie's Angels, mm. not the 2001 one, mm-hmm. which I actually don't think has held up well and no. actually I think is pretty bad contrary to popular belief but 2019's charlie's angels directed by elizabeth banks starring Kristen stewart naomi scott and ella balinska i think this thing is definitely worthwhile it's certainly no worse than something like sonic the hedgehog this thing is actually fun and it actually holds up on its feminism and how it treats women and how its women characters are portrayed this thing has a 4.9 on IMDb, based on 70,000 votes. That is a lot of misogynistic hate yeah. thrown at this film. And that is a trend that I found happening a lot with any movie that has more than one female lead. Ghostbusters 2016 is another example of that. The Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, didn't think of that. That could have been a good contender for this list, too. <laughs> Thank has a couple uh, female leads in it. And, and that also underperformed. I think that's underrated. But Charlie's Angels, a lot of uh, people who did praise the film gave some praise to Kristen Stewart. But I actually really liked Naomi Scott, especially in this film. I think the whole team is great. I think um, the the whole plot is perfectly fine and fun. Is it a great film? No, it is not. But it is a perfectly enjoyable, good time. Much more than its reputation suggests. So I'm listing it here as my 12th favorite underrated movie. Charlie's Angels 2019. My number 11 is from 1991. It is Hook. Yes. (laughs) When Captain James Hook kidnaps his children, an adult Peter Pan must return to Neverland and reclaim his youthful spirit in order to challenge his old enemy. This is directed by Steven Spielberg. How is this not talked about endlessly? Well, when it is talked about, it is considered Spielberg's worst film. Next to 1941. I just, I don't agree with that. Dude, I almost had this on my list too until I heard it was on your list. Mm. Uh, This this list is a perfect opportunity to to praise Hook. It's It's awesome. It's so cool. Look, you go watch the animated Peter Pan for Peter Pan and and Hook, you know. And over here, you know, sure, you're going to see Hook in Hook. And this is my favorite Shmi. And Bob we're going to see Peter Pan and we're going to see Rufio. Rufio, who's, who's the original character. And like, there's just this, there's so many fun moments in this film. Like, mm. we actually get to see how bad Captain Hook is without it being bloody. And oh, there's so much color. I mean, the scene where everyone's using their, the only way you can survive in Neverland <laughs> is if you use your imagination. So you better get with it. Yeah. I just love the concepts in this film. I think mm-hmm. that Robin Williams is amazing. Yeah. His little transformation and uh, the fact that he grew up and had kids, but, you know, grew up a little too much is great. 
uh, Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. What? Just fantastic. And yes. Mm-hmm. Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell. She is my favorite Tinkerbell. And Maggie Smith as Granny Wendy. I just, I absolutely love this film. And it makes me super happy. I'm always quoting Toodles. It's snowing. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, that cast, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, Maggie Smith, plus you got Charlie Corsmo, Arthur Mallet, and Phil Collins, apparently, if you are Eagle Eye, he makes an appearance in there. I've heard also, I think it's Glenn Close has a cameo in it. It's just an incredible production, and Dante Basco as Rufio the, I mean, the movie's awesome. The Lost Boys are awesome. Each individual one is so great. And I am a part of a generation that grew up on the Peter Pan animated movie. And this felt like a natural progression to, from that movie and that, like an actual sequel to it. And it was fantastic. So I am totally with you on this pick. And I thought this would be on Disney Plus, but it's not. It's not anywhere that we hmm. do stuff. Shame. Shame. So my 11th favorite is on Disney Plus, is a movie we reviewed back in 2020. It is Mulan, the definitely live-action remake of Mulan. Yes, it is the one without Mushu, thank Christ. Oh my God, honey. And wow. a movie that has a full Asian cast... That included not only uh, Liu Yifei, 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 I'm not sure, I apologize, Donnie Yen, but Gong Lee, Jason Scott Lee, Jet Lee, Si Ma, P.P. Chain, so many people in this. And I, see, I think, okay, I think most of the Disney animation, the, the live action remakes have sucked. Because what they try to do is they carbon copy the animated movies into live action. It is the worst example of pandering to generations of audiences rather than trying to do something interesting. And Mulan is one of the few live action remakes by Disney in the past 10 years that does something interesting, which is... Don't make it a musical. Make it an epic Asian period piece. Yeah. Like what you have seen if you are familiar with Chinese cinema. And they try introducing a little elements of wuxia in it. There are flaws. We talked about the flaws. You can go back and listen to our review of Mulan. It's not a flawless movie. Mm. But... It is much better than the 5.7 yeah, that it received low. on IMDb. That is criminal. This movie is grossly underrated. I think this is a great example that you have where, you know, rather than just translating it into live action, make it better. And it should have gotten higher reviews, more attention. What is your 10th? Mine is not a 5.7. It's a 6.8. It is from 2019. Hey, 2019. It is Longshot with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. Journalist Fred Flarsky reunites with his childhood crush. It just so happens that she was his babysitter. 
uh, it's a little weird for me, Charlotte Field, now one of the most influential women in the world, as she prepares to make a run for the presidency, Charlotte hires Fred as her speechwriter and sparks fly. This is such a fun romantic comedy. I There are so many great jokes in here. And I love the p- political side of it, just mm. trying to get there. You got O'Shea Jackson Jr. and June Diane Raphael. They're great in it. Robbie Patel, Bob Odenkirk, Andy Serkis, Randall Park. Great cast. This is a movie I considered for this list as well. Again, one of a stack of 2019 movies that I think are underrated that just like didn't catch on for some reason. Yeah, and I felt like it was one of the more unique ones. Mm-hmm. It had a good storyline. It was, you know, with someone running for president, a woman running for president. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's, you know, lots of fun that you can have with that. Well, definitely, especially when you have Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen as the leads, and they have such great chemistry uh, together in this film. So that that's an excellent pick. And that's available on HBO, so you can go enjoy it right now. Nice. My next pick is also from 2020, like my previous pick. A lot of underrated movies in recent years, I think. The New Mutants. The long-delayed New Mutants. Unfortunate victim of the Disney-Fox merger as it kind of got shelved for a while and then people didn't know what was going on with the project and... It was supposed to lead into a whole other story arc, and it's unfortunate. And it's actually it's actually pretty good. It's not top shelf, you know, it's not one of the top two or three Foxman movies, but it was interesting. It had this horror aspect to it. It was sort of true to the old Bill Sankowitz art uh, stories in the 80s of the New Mutants. It starred Maisie Williams, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Heaton, and Blue Hunt. And Blue Hunt, I think, is underrated in this movie. There is a lesbian relationship that's just casually in there, a kind of a romance. And I think that's great, a a teenage lesbian romance. Um, at least Braga is in it. There's there's a lot to actually appreciate in the New Mutants. Far from a bad movie. Far from deserving the 5.3 on IMDb that it got very unfortunately underrated. The New Mutants, which you can find on HBO Max. All right, Shanna, what's your ninth favorite? My ninth favorite is Mississippi Masala from 1991. Now, right now, it's not available to stream, but I'm going to assume it's going to get on HBO because isn't it getting the Criterion treatment? Uh, yeah, actually. Okay. So I'm going to assume it's going to get there in, in a month or two, I'm assuming. Or definitely the Criterion channel if you can afford that. Yeah, and this is... Uh, a Mira Nair film. It stars Denzel Washington and Sarita Chaudhry. It's it's a lovely romance film. Let me just get this description here. An ethnic Indian family is expelled from Idi Amin's Uganda in 1972 and lives in Mississippi 17 years later. 
The dad sues Uganda to get his property back. The grown daughter falls in love with a black man. I thought that this was a really great film because not only are we dealing with the dad's issues, but we're also dealing with the daughter's issues of, I just, I'm, I found peace and happiness where I am and I want to build my life here. And with the dad, he's just trying to fight to get back to Uganda. And it's just, he's hitting a lot of brick walls. This is a romance that's beautiful, but it's also dealing with other more serious issues. And I just don't feel like it gets enough attention that it deserves. It's got a a 6.6 and I just, I think it's more worth a 7.6 or an 8.2. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the case with a lot of Mira Nair's films, though. She's made some really solid films and, you know, they just don't get the attention that they deserve more often than not. My ninth favorite underrated movie is from 2019. Once again, it is fighting with my family, which was for most the uh, kind of the breakout of Florence Pugh as she stars as a, a real life wrestler This is kind of the story of how this wrestler came to be. Her name is Paige and how she kind of was was basically against the odds against those odds. She became who she is. Uh, Soraya Knight is the uh, the woman's name directed and written by Stephen Merchant. This movie became way better than I expected it to be. And while and I believe the the IMDb score kind of reflects that, but this is not a movie that is talked about much and it didn't really take off. Like I don't know a lot of people that's seen or heard of fighting with my family. It also starred Nick Frost and Vince Vaughn, Lena Headey and Dwayne Johnson as himself. Um, you know, this this movie actually has some surprises with it. It has surprises in terms of how, like, the competition, because there's a huge process in becoming a wrestler, how the competition yeah. kind of reflects back onto, onto her, the main character. And Florence Pugh is awesome. And, I mean, she had a great year in 2019 with... With this movie and Midsommar and Little Woman, it was a huge breakout year for her. She'd done uh, a few things for the past, the previous uh, handful of years before that, but nothing as notable as what came out in 2019. And Fighting With My Family kind of got lost in the shuffle of Midsommar and Little Women. Mm. And, and I think it's, it's, it's fairly underrated. So uh, I, I definitely want to give it some attention here. Yeah, I think that's a really fair assessment. Uh, she was very busy, and who knows? Maybe this film was more popular in England. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So my next one is Tom Popo, uh, available on HBO. It is from 1985. Oh, I'm actually seeing that the rating is 7.9. Yeah, because there's only 18,000 people that have seen the movie. Yeah, as opposed to like 108,000. Or 70,000 or whatever. Yeah, this is one of those movies where if you have seen it, you likely love it. Yes. So a truck driver stops at a small family-run noodle shop and decides to help its fledgling business. The story is intertwined with various vignettes about the relationship of love 
and food. This is such a great film. Didn't you say it, 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 it mirrors another film? Well, there's a certain degree of the spaghetti western element in it, and That's among right. among other things, I do believe there there is, if I recall, a certain degree of mob, like what is it, like a star-crossed lover type thing, if I recall correctly. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. There's a weird relationship. This movie is very um, episodic, mm-hmm. right? It is almost anthology-like the way it's structured, but there is a couple whose love marries, emerges with food, quite yes. literally. Yeah, that is quite the scenes. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It's it's not gross or weird. It's just like, huh. It's weird. I never thought about that. <laughs> it gets weird, for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of unique moments happening in this film and a lot of moments that stand out. And every time I think of the film or see the poster for the film, I think of several key scenes and I wish that more people knew about it. Mm. And recently our friend posted about it. So Mm -hmm. I was glad to see that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a film that is underseen and, and, and should be seen by more. A great film, Tempopo. My eighth favorite is not on the quality of something like Tempopo, as most of my picks have been, but I do enjoy it very much. Y'all know about Jaws, the greatest shark movie ever. Well, if you're not familiar, let me introduce you to the second greatest shark movie ever, and that is The Shallows from 2016. Starring Blake Lively is about a woman who is a mere 200 yards from shore. She is attacked by a great white shark, attacked and trapped by a great white shark. And it's about whether or not she can make it back alive. And when she can see the shore and safety right there, (laughs) but she just can't quite get there this is this film's riveting and it is a it is a just i don't want to say it's a blast but it is one of those that's just fun it is a fun film mm. it's completely satisfying it, you know there's been other movies like uh what is it 48 meters below or 47 meters below or something like that and even that movie kind of pales in comparison it's just not most of these movies are just kind of predictable. They have the predictable jump scares. You kind of understand that, oh, you know, their back is turned and something's going to come right from behind them or whatever, you know, in, in, in the water. This movie does not really go for the cheap uh, scares and stuff like that. Uh, but it is fun. And Blake Lively more than capably anchors this film. Uh, she's underrated. I think. I don't mm. think she gets enough opportunities. What was the movie that we saw with her and Anna Cameron? A Simple Favor a couple years ago? She was really great in that, mm. too. I would like to see her get more work along these lines. But The Shallows is is my recommendation for the time being as my eighth favorite underrated movie. Shanna, what is your seventh? Yeah, so I originally had something else at number seven, and then I saw its rating was in the high sevens, so I switched out. (laughs) Okay, all right. I switched out for something you had mentioned earlier, and I thought this will be great. It's Mortal Kombat, which is available on HBO. It is the 2021 
Mortal Kombat. MMA mm. fighter Cole Young seeks out, seeks out Earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. I love this film. Look, if I have to compare Sonic translated into film and Mortal Kombat translated into film, like Mortal Kombat did a better job. Like, really? They, I, I think so. Interesting. They, they, they had a lot more to contend with. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a unique game, you know. It, mm. Well... It's, it's, it's a it's, unique situation okay. because you've got many characters that fight against each other in the game. Mm. And now how are you going to weave that into a story? Mm-hmm. Sonic's just moving through the levels and defeating a boss. You know, there isn't really much to it. Well, the same thing with Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. I just, I feel like Mortal Kombat's more. Okay. And, um, you know, we went pretty crazy getting ready for this Mortal Kombat release. We watched... The show? Was it like yeah, a five-episode show or something? It was a web series called Mortal Kombat Legacy, which was originally intended to ground Mortal Kombat in a sort of reality mm. and kind of make these outlandish characters as as like what-if in reality kind of thing. Yeah, and I just I really enjoy the franchise. I really enjoy the violence. <laughs> I really... Yeah. I felt like this was translated beautifully the moment in sonic 2 when he's trying to get out of the water Mm -hmm. like that was a really satisfying moment Uh but it was the only satisfying moment like that whereas in mortal kombat i get the movie i get several moments like that in the film so that is why it's there i don't think it deserves a 6.1 i mean come on this deserves at least a high seven if anything i would say that i'm surprised it has a 6.1 with the reputation i've heard around it you know i did a, a curiosity poll whether or not people preferred the 1995 Mortal Kombat or this one. And by far, people preferred the 1995 version. And I, I, you know, I haven't heard a lot of positive talk around this movie outside of us. So I, I do think, I agree with you. I think this movie is greatly underrated as well. So, and hopefully we'll get to see a sequel and in time, people will be able to reassess yeah. this as underrated. It looks like they are, they're they're okayed for a sequel. Greenlit, yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I'm not sure when it's going to come out. All right. Well, hopefully, in the near future. My next favorite underrated movie, my seventh favorite, is a documentary from 2003. That is is a well-regarded documentary. It's by Errol Morris, one of the best documentaries ar- documentarians around. It is The Fog of War, which is a basically Robert S. Uh, Mac- McNamara, Robert McNamara, talking to the camera about the um, his time as Secretary of Defense with, under uh, JFK. And the events that happened back then and the lessons that he learned. And look, I think this movie should be considered the best documentary of its decade, of its time. And I don't think it's ever really achieved that level of esteem. I don't know very many people who's even seen this documentary. I know plenty of people who've probably seen documentaries like 20 Feet to Stardom and... And fa- uh, not fast food nation, the, the super size me, mm. but not 
very many people who've seen Fog of War. So I think it's definitely underseen. I think that this thing is, is one of the most important documentaries of its time because in its context, it came out at the time when the U.S. went to a, a war with Iraq under false pretenses of um, weapons of mass destruction and stuff. And here you have a guy who has been in the White House, has lived and worked through tense times, telling him, telling us, telling our government the lessons of, of how they should carry themselves and, and things they should learn from history and avoid. So significant documentary, Riveting, has excellent score by Philip Glass, one of my favorite scores. Mm-hmm. The Fog of War, one of my favorite underrated movies all right shannon we're at the halfway mark what is your sixth favorite my sixth favorite is from 2015 and it actually has a score of 7.6 with 450,000 people voting oh wow but i just like if i don't hear my family speaking about it if i don't hear my friends speaking about it i'm like it's underrated it everybody needs to know about it It is Sicario. An idealistic FBI agent is enlisted by a government task force to aid in the escalating war against drugs at the border between the U.S. and Mexico. It's directed by Denny Villeneuve, so, you know, I have a great love there. It stars Emily Blunt, Josh Brolin, and Benicio Del Toro, just to name a few. And the score is by Johan Johansson, and... It's just such a well-crafted film. It's scary. It's terrifying. It feels so real. You know, it's just so good. The performances are great. I wish that everybody knew about this film because it's very exciting. My parents always say, oh, is it going to make us sleep? No, this is not going to make you sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I just wish more people talked about it. That'll make you sleep. The dog will make you sleep. How the dog will make you yeah. Well, look, here's the thing. I almost had this on my list. And the reason why is because on Instagram, whenever people talk about Denis Villeneuve's films, whenever they rank Denis Villeneuve's films, whenever they mm. say their favorite Denis Villeneuve's film, Sicario is usually at the bottom for some reason. You always hear about Arrival, one of your absolute favorite yeah. movies of all time. My favorite. There you go. Blade Runner 2049, you'll hear about. And there is a lot of freaking love to prisoners. But Sicario just for some reason does not get that level of love mm. and attention. And it boggles my mind because I think it's a, it, it's up there with his more recent work. So uh, that's why I think it's a great addition to the list i think it is one i think it is probably his most underrated film yeah which is bizarre to me because i think it's one of the best movies of 2015 i guess that's a really great way to look at it is it's his most underrated film yeah yes so my next favorite is a star trek film people (laughs) always talk about star trek to the wrath of khan more recently, they always talk about uh, 2009's Star Trek mm-hmm. when they talk mm-hmm. favorably about Star Trek movies. Sometimes maybe First Contact comes up, but rarely 
does Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country come up in discussion? I think it is the most underrated Star Trek movie of the even pattern at the time. You have to remember in the core Star Trek franchise series, they had a pattern of every other movie being good. The even movies mm-hmm. are considered to be good. The odd ones are considered to be the worst ones. And Star Trek VI follows that pattern, but it just never gets the attention that other Star Trek movies do. And it was directed by Nicholas Meyer, who I believe directed Star Trek II, among other Star Trek films. It is about Kirk and McCoy on the eve of retirement being charged with assassinating the Klingon High Chancellor and being imprisoned. The Enterprise crew basically hurry to try to solve what happened and find evidence that will absolve Kirk and McCoy of the crime. It is a very fun film, and it is a murder mystery. It is, yeah, it's 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 one part murder mystery with Spock trying to solve the murder, Mm. and also one part prison film. But it's like a sci-fi prison film, so you have all these fascinating characters and aliens and stuff, uh, with uh, uh, Kirk and McCoy being in prison on a, a distant planet. I think it's a blast. Not enough attention given to it. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, my sixth favorite underrated movie. Awesome. My next one is from 2005. It is Lord of War. This is definitely one of your favorite. <laughs> if you were to make a list of 100 favorite movies, it would be like, this would have to be on it. At least in the 50. It like, has been on several of your lists. Yeah, I'm noticing that <laughs> as I'm starting to talk about it. Uh, it's made several lists. And it's because it's so damn good and I don't think it gets enough attention. It has a 7.6 on IMDb. But this is such a fine piece of film. It deserves high eights. And that's why I'm saying something. <laughs> You know, they start the film with the life and death of a bullet and the camera angles, the macro shots are amazing. The cinematography is great, obviously, but the performances in the cast are awesome, too. You've got Nicolas Cage, Ethan Hawke and Jared Leto. Jared Leto is just an itty bitty baby. I mean, he's not really a baby, but you know, <laughs> it's just it seems that way. And I just, I absolutely love it. What is this film actually about? (laughs) An arms dealer confronts the morality of his work eventually as he is being chased by an Interpol agent. I love seeing Nicolas Cage. I know he's got a film coming out next weekend. Uh, This is probably my favorite Nick Cage film. Wow, really? Yeah. Well, I guess it would be with uh, as much as you bring it up. Uh, Very good. My fifth favorite is a movie that is greatly underrated. I don't understand it. It is from 1990. It is Warren Beatty's passion project, Dick Tracy. (laughs) With the following cast members, Charles Durning, Seymour Castle, Glenn Headley, William Forsyth, Charlie Corsmo, Al Pacino, Madonna, Warren Beatty, 
Dustin Hoffman makes an appearance <laughs> and more. Uh, with, let's see here. I got to find it. There's a uh, great music and score work in here too. I'll, I'll uh, swing around to that in a moment. But I think this movie is awesome. It is based on the comic strip. It is the detective. It's got the whole like primary color thing going on with yellows and darks and everything. And uh, Danny Elfman did the score fantastically. Cinematography by Vittorio Storaro. Uh, and you have uh, songs, I believe, written by uh, Stephen Sondheim. I mean, come on. And and Madonna, too, doing some uh, song work, too. I just think this movie's a blast. I think it's greatly underrated. I don't understand it. And I think it's so cool. And this is actually a franchise I would actually love to see revived hmm. because there's so much you could do with it with all the various different like uh, crazy underworld characters like Flat Top, Itchy, The Brow, <laughs> you know, The Rodent, Little Face, and, and so on. It's fantastic. And Al Pacino is great as big boy caprice he has a third act like third act turn that is so funny i i just i don't know i love this movie so much dick tracy it is greatly underrated you can't even get a decent blu-ray of it it's bare bones blu-ray and it's got a 6.2 on imdb so uh firmly an underrated film it is my fifth favorite shanna i i will say I'm not a huge fan of that franchise, but I do really like the cinematography in that film. Mm. It is top notch. My next one is available on Prime. It is The Vast of Night from 2019. This is See another 2019? Yeah, movie. yeah, it's like it, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> this has got a 6.7. It deserves like a 9, guys, like seriously. It is directed and written by Andrew Patterson. I think it's a it, debut, yeah? Yeah, it is. And one it's one night in New Mexico in the late 50s, a switchboard operator and radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency which could change the future forever. And if you look at the poster, there's definitely an alien spaceship, okay? <laughs> it's just, it's very obvious. It's got the beam of light coming down. And... Mm. It's such a great take on this kind of film. The first shot that you see, it's a it's a one take and it's complicated. They're going through a gymnasium, a high school gymnasium of basketball players and trying to calm one person down and then coming back to the gymnasium and it's just it's in and out and the cinematography is great and the music is awesome and the story is so cool like I do not understand. There's a, it's only 38,000 people have voted. Yeah. Rated it. And yeah. it just doesn't make sense to me. Where are all the alien film fanatics? Where are they? Because <laughs> yeah. this one is a murder. It's Sierra McCormick, Jake Horowitz. It's mostly those two. And it's really just, a, it's, it's really their story. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, it's beautiful it's small town it's it's so small town that their main street is is barely anything on it and everyone's got like doors open and the the whole town is empty because they're all watching this basketball game it's just 
I really love this film and I wish people would check it out. The cinematography is great. It's all happening at night. Mm-hmm. And it's all happening, I think, real time. Mm. So it's pretty phenomenal. Now we're starting to get into my 100 favorite movies of all time. Ooh. So my fourth favorite is my first one in a while that's available on a streaming service. It is available on Hulu. It is from 2017. It is Shanna's third favorite movie of all time, Band-Aid. You know, I can't mention it, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, I yeah, I got your back as <laughs> much tr- as I can. I'll try not to hijack it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is the third or fourth time I've, I've done this for you. 2017, <laughs> Zoe Lister-Jones, Adam Pally, Fred Armisen. They are the principal actors. And the prior two are a married couple going through a difficult time. They decide to turn their fights into music and form a band this film, criminally underseen. I think it was the most underseen movie of its year with like maybe $5,000 or something like that mm. in ticket sales. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. And right. it's, it's, it's a movie that more people should absolutely see and appreciate. Band-Aid, go to Hulu. Please check it out. Let us know what you think. It is my fourth favorite underrated movie. Shanna, what is your third favorite underrated movie? This is my rant opportunity. Oh, boy. <laughs> From 2021, recently, like, should have been nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars. And Best Picture. Yeah. At least a nomination. But no, no, we don't. We, we don't think so. No, no, this isn't acting. Fuck off. It's The Last Duel. King Charles the fifth, seventh, The sixth, man. <laughs> I don't know how to fuck It's a V this. and a okay. one. V equals five. One after it is Shh. six. <laughs> King Charles the fifth declares... The sixth. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so blinded by my anger. That I cannot get through this description. (laughs) I'm sure you've edited it several times, so we're going to try one more time. (laughs) King Charles VI declares that Knight Jean de Carroge settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. It is directed by Ridley Scott, and it stars one of my favorite actresses. If we had to do, like, an all-time favorite actresses list. I don't know if we've done that before. She would be on it. It's Jodie yeah, Comer. Did. Yeah, yeah. Jodie Comer is amazing, amazing in this film. Matt Damon and Adam Driver are great too. Ben Affleck is in there as well. And we're seeing the story from three different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And it requires talent that Jodie Comer has. And displays. And I just really wish that more people would talk about this film. I wish more people would praise her for this film. I wish that she would get recognized by the award systems that are in place. I am very passionate about her performance in this film and what this film does for women. It has a 7.4. It deserves a 9. And uh, that is The Last Duel. And I think it's available on HBO. Okay, so mine is from 2014. 
It is Edge of Tomorrow, a movie that mm. I think maybe it's grown in esteem gradually over the past eight years as people slowly come to discover it. But certainly back in 2014, hardly anybody saw this movie. And it was one of the best movies of the year. And it's one of the best sci-fi films of the decade. Just two minutes shy of absolute perfection and a masterpiece is Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Tom Cruise is fighting aliens and he gets stuck in a Groundhog Day situation where he's reliving the same day over and over and over again with the day restarting every time he dies. Bill Paxton makes an appearance in the film as well as Brendan Gleeson. This is riveting. It is creative. It is fantastic. Doug Lyman directed it. It is based on a manga called All You Need Is Death or All You Need Is Kill. I'm I think something like that. And it, it, the marketing for it just got fucked around the, even to the point where they tried changing the title for the video release, which is kind of terrible because then people are confused. Oh, uh, is this, what is this movie? Is this different from the one I heard about yeah. in the theaters? Whatever it is, you know, they changed, tried changing it to live, die, repeat, which was originally the tagline of the movie. That was confusing. Anyway, this is a great sci-fi film. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Those who have seen it tend to agree. It, it's it's a, a favorite of mine. I love it. Edge of Tomorrow from 2014. We watched that one recently with our son, and that was a really great experience. Mm-hmm. My number two is Love and Mercy from 2014, available on HBO. It has 39,000 people rating it, and it's at 7.4. The problem is Ooh. it's under 40,000. Yeah. Not a lot of that people have seen this. That is a huge problem. Yeah. And I don't even think that a lot of Beach Boys fans know about it. Right. Because your dear friend didn't even know about the film. And then when he watched the film, he was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Right. In the 60s, Beach Boys leader Brian Wilson struggles with emerging psychosis as he attempts to craft his avant-garde pop masterpiece. In the 80s, he's broken, confused. Under the 24-hour watch of a shady therapist, Dr. Eugene Landy. And there is some truth to this movie. There's a couple things that they've changed just because movies. But it stays true to what was essentially happening. And it stars John Cusack as the older Brian Wilson, Paul Dano as the younger, and then Elizabeth Banks, who I think is an underrated actress while we're on the underrated side yeah, of things. Yeah, I, I, think, I would agree with that. I think she's underrated in general. I love the performances in this film. I love the story. I love how they are illustrating the concept of what an artist might be going through as they're trying to work, work on something until it's absolutely perfect. The way that you see Brian Wilson crafting his album is a wonderful insight into that industry. And I just really wish that this film got more attention because mm. it is, I might even use the M word. Like it is great for sure. It is a great film and it is one that definitely was a contender for my list because 
it's just it's a forgotten film it's not a movie that hardly anybody even knows exists and yet it was one of the best films of its year by far uh so excellent pick i do not blame you placing that as your second favorite my second favorite is by joe wright from 2011 it is one of the best action movies of the past decade hannah Starring Olivia Williams, Michelle Dockery, Eric Bana, Kate Blanchett, and Sersha Ronan as the titular teen assassin, basically. Uh, she plays a 16-year-old who was raised by her father to be the perfect assassin, being dispatched on a mission across Europe, tracked by a ruthless intelligence agent and her operatives. There's something special about Hannah, the character, and the film. It has a kick-ass score by the Chemical Brothers, but also some great fight choreography. And most importantly, and the biggest surprise of all, some great existential themes going through Mm. the film as it explores this character who is removed some from society and has to essentially experience society for the first time and and it explores like what makes what makes us who we are it's fantastic i love hannah to pieces and not very many people seem to be on board with this movie or be aware of it uh, it has a 6.8 out of 197,000 votes on IMDb. I doubt many of those votes saw it in 2011. But uh, it is the last movie on my list available to stream. You can find it on Hulu and judge for yourself. Shanna, what is your favorite underrated movie? Yeah, so this, (laughs) this is not a masterpiece. But it is one of my favorite films to watch. Okay. Uh, when it becomes available on a, a streaming network, it often gets shown to me, and I'm like, yes, I'll take it. Uh, it, hap- it happens in Seattle. Oh. So after living in Seattle, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know exactly where they are. It's from 1999. It's available on HBO. It's Double Jeopardy. Very cool. Yeah. It stars Ashley Judd, Tommy Lee Jones, Bruce Greenwood, to name a few. A woman framed for her husband's murder suspects he is still alive as fucking asshole. As she has already been tried for the crime, she can't be re-prosecuted if she finds and kills him. Because guess what? She's already done her time. She's going to make sure that he does his. I love this film. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure for me because it's not like an amazing film, but it's it's one of my favorite thrillers. And I love watching Ashley Judd. Yeah, I kind of miss Ashley Judd, actually, because while often she wasn't given great material, when she was, she was really good. She made everything look good. Mm. Like, she mm-hmm. made shit look gold. And... Mm. I, I think that that's one of the things that she's doing. Like, it's not shit, but she just amplifies everything. Uh, there's a lot of fun action scenes, and I just love her performance. My favorite underrated movie. I, I landed on this one as, as likely underrated because I think it, I, I just don't think it's talked about 
remembered or even like being recommended anymore as as a movie that exists as a movie as one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time it is from 1997 it is contact by robert zemeckis nice choice when people talk about robert zemeckis's films they'll bring up the polar express before they'll bring up (laughs) contact for crying out loud they'll bring up the, the christmas carol or whatever before they'll bring up contact and that's criminal because you have some of jodie foster's best work here you have an extraordinary script uh adapted from carl sagan's book about what would likely happen if we ever actually made contact Mm -hmm. to other life from another planet the adaptation is by James Hart and Michael Goldenberg. It stars Matthew McConaughey in one of his best performances. Yes. Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, Jenna Malone, David Morris, and William Fichtner. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, this was before his rom-com run when he proved he is a good actor. Mm-hmm. Right? He had done a time to kill before this. That was, was really good. He was yep, and he was really good in that. Uh, he's great as this religious counterpoint to Jodie Foster's Eleanor Elroway, Ellie Elroway, one of the most fascinating female characters I had seen in my life up to that point. Mm. The first movie I had seen that left me speechless long after the movie. It is an extraordinary experience and is very intelligent. And I, I just think this is greatly underrated film that I think is probably more true than we like to admit. In fact, yeah. reality is probably <laughs> even worse now than what this film depicts. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it, it's an extraordinary film. Contact from 1997 my favorite underrated film. Whew, we got through it. We got through it. But Shanna, as we mentioned before, there were a lot more that we considered. What were some of the other titles that almost made your list? Oh, man. Okay, let's see if I can do it quickly. The Ghostbusters 2016, Under the Skin, Stardust, Chef, Counter Monte Cristo, uh, then we've got Revenge, Stories We Tell, Bend It Like Beckham, The New Mutants, Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, Hunt for the Wilder. There's some great picks in yeah, there, man. Yeah, and then The Mist Okay, that's what I had. Wow. Okay, fantastic. So I had some of your picks, uh, Bend It Like Beckham being one of them, but I also was like, well, of all the Grinda Chada movies, that's probably one of the more, uh, one of the less underrated ones. I think Blinded by the Light. Also a 2019 movie, greatly underrated, almost made my list, changed last second. The documentary Hearts and Minds about the Vietnam War, great. While revered, I think these days, almost forgotten and greatly underrated. Predators from 2010-ish that was produced by Robert Rodriguez, greatly underrated, available on Hulu. Limelight by Charlie Chaplin. Mm. I... Man, I struggled 
whether or not to have that on my list because it is an absolute favorite of mine for sure on HBO Max. My man Godfrey on Amazon Prime. About time. I don't know if you mentioned that, but yes, absolutely. He, uh, Scorsese's Hugo, one of his most underrated movies. Uh, very hard to see in its proper context because it was in 3D and the 3D helped serve a purpose for what the movie was trying to say. 13 Assassins on Amazon Prime by Takashi Miike. Revenge also, yes. Meek's cut off because I think Kelly Reichardt's films in general are mm. underrated. And that's her best film, I think. Uh, Minding the Gap. Stories we tell. Sarah Pauli's documentary. One of the best documentaries of the past 10 years for sure. Sorcerer is a remake of... Oh, gosh. What is it? Is it The Rules of the Game? Oh, I can't remember. It's a remake of a, a French film, if I recall. Kind of a forgotten 70s film. Uh, pretty riveting, great stuff. The Misfits with Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable definitely was a contender for my list. Yankee Doodle Dandy, I'm always I'm always hopping the Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> no one else has seen Yankee Doodle Dandy, really, yeah. uh, in recent years. Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. That's a great pick, man. That was a great pick. Um, United 93, which I think is the greatest film of the 2000s. Not a lot of people talk about that movie because it is a very difficult one to get through. I think it is on the level of import and sincerity of something like Schindler's List. It is extraordinarily crafted. Fearless from 1993 with Jeff Bridges. What's Eating Gilbert Grape and In America. Those were all movies I considered as greatly being underrated. With some really good picks that you have in there. Anybody who was born after the year 1990 needs to check these movies out. For sure, as I'm sure, they do not get recommended enough. But what are some of your favorite underrated movies? Any of them ones we mentioned? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That'll about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Hope you enjoyed our discussions. Before we talk about the next episode, Shannon, why don't you share where people can find you online? You can find me at Shanna Paxton Photography on Instagram, and you can find me at FlickChart at Svalbanyane. Go to thegibsonreview.com to find everything. Basically, you'll find uh, features and reviews, such as the more recent Tracy and Hepburn A Review uh, article on there. You'll find past episodes of The Movie Lovers on there. You'll find past reviews and uh, other lists on there as well. Lots to explore the Gibson Review. Dot com. Follow on social media, which there's links from the main blog too. You can go to facebook.com slash the Gibson Review or go to Instagram, the Gibson 99. I do bracket polls there. And we have finally decided on your favorite directorial debut. From the 20th century, as I mentioned in the previous episode, it is Reservoir Dogs. From the 21st century, it was Get Out. Both those two movies faced off against each other, and Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs won out as your favorite directorial debut, currently in honor of, at the time of recording, uh, in honor of our Morbius episode, we are uh, determining your favorite vampire movie, 
already some surprises with Bram Stoker's Dracula and Interview with a Vampire being eliminated in the first round. Go there to find out who won and watch out for other polls. Next episode of The Movie Lovers. I have noted here Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Woo! It's finally here! Nothing else. Nothing else noted on this episode, which means we may skip a film faves segment. We may just focus on this film that has been eagerly anticipated as a turning point in the MCU post-Endgame. So look forward to our thoughts on that film on Tuesday, May 10th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye. think I'm going to change my mind. No changing. Nope. (laughs) Nope. You're committed to the seven. (laughs) Don't let me talk you out of your score. Okay, just delete all of that. (laughs) Um, 